This past Wednesday, Lisa and I celebrated 14 years of being married. And thank you. Now, you know the experience. I'm sure you've had it, whether at a birthday or an anniversary, graduating from high school, retiring from work, a child going off to college, whatever it might be, those sort of milestone moments of life. You know the experience that Lisa and I had on Wednesday as we sat together having dinner, talking and saying to one another, where has the time gone? You know what that's like when we get to these major moments and you look back and say, it seems like just yesterday that we got married. And we've been married for 14 years, or in some people's cases, 50 years. Seems like just yesterday that you started as a freshman in high school all nervous and worried about this big school and this new adventure. And here you are on the verge of graduating. And you look back and you say, where did it go? It was just a flash. For some of you, it may feel like just yesterday you embarked on your working career and Now you're facing retirement and you look and you say, where'd it go? It was here and gone in a moment. Now, if we're honest, it's not only that at these milestones of life, we wonder where did the time go? When we reach these milestones of life, there can often be this feeling as we look back and say, not only did it go fast, but there was so much more I could have done with it. The child who's getting ready to go off to college, the parents look at one another and think, man, there was probably more we could have done to prepare them in God's word for what they're about to go off and face. It's all happened so fast, but there are probably some missed opportunities. For the person who is student who's graduating from college, it's your senior year and it's all gone so fast. And not only that, if you look back, you think there was a lot of wasted time. Over those four or five years, there were a lot of things that I could have done for God's kingdom. There were a lot of things I could have accomplished that it just passed me by. I just missed it. Perhaps you're here and you're a senior adult and you're looking at your physical condition and you see that your energy is waning and your physical abilities are less than they were 30 or 40 years ago and Not only do you get to a birthday and think, man, where did it go? You also look back and think, well, there were a lot of opportunities. There were a lot of other things I could have done when I still had the strength and when I still had the energy and I wasted it on some stuff I didn't need to be wasting it on. If we're honest with each other, these milestones are not only opportunities to look and say, man, it's gone quickly, but also to be honest and say, how did I miss all of those opportunities? How did so much pass me by. Well, the reason I know that this is not just my experience is because I've heard many of you share similar stories as well. But more than that, the Bible actually says this is what our experience is going to be. But fortunately, it not only accurately describes this issue, it also prescribes or proscribes a solution for it. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. 
It's page 829 in the Bibles that the church provides. And we're in the middle of a series, well, we're actually near the end of the series, uh, called the Ten Commandments of Community. And these are the rules that God has given to us so that we might have the kind of relationships that He wants us to have with all people, but especially amongst the community of faith and here in our congregation and among the smaller groups and adult congregations that are here. Now, this week we're looking at the Ninth Commandment. The interesting thing about this Ninth Commandment is not only does it help us understand something about Christian community, it also addresses the issue that I've been talking about here, the issue of getting to the milestones of life and thinking, where has it gone and why have I wasted opportunities? This Ninth Commandment talks about both these things because, interestingly enough, they're connected. So listen, please, as I read verses 15 to 20 of Ephesians chapter 5. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's talking here at the beginning in verses 15 and 16 about what we've been talking about. He says, look, be careful how you live, that whether you're at a milestone like an anniversary or just here this morning looking at your life, he says, be careful how you go through life. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, at this point, you go, yeah, duh, of course, that's what we're supposed to do. Great. But notice why he says make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Now what does that mean? Well, the word evil is used two more times in Ephesians besides this one. And they both happen to be in chapter 6. And there they're used in connection with Satan and with spiritual warfare And Satan's attempt to hinder Christians from being productive members of God's kingdom. That in turn reminds us of what Paul told us in chapter 2 of Ephesians. That Satan is the ruler of the kingdoms of this world. Which, as John says, Satan is over everything in this world or the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So Paul's point when he says the days are evil is he means that the days of our lives are not naturally used to be productive for God's kingdom. That instead our lives are designed in such a way because of the world in which we live, because this world is under Satan's control, It's designed so that we get to milestones of life and look back and say, where did the time go? The time was against me. The days were against me. 
And instead of being productive, the default state of living in this world is that we're unproductive. The default state, without something to change it, the default state is the world in which we live in, is stealing time from us. And that if nothing changes or we do nothing about it, we will indeed reach the milestones of life and look back and say, where did it go? And I wasted my time. The days are against us. Let me give you a couple examples of what I mean by that. A few weeks ago in The Economist, there was a story about how smartphones are destroying productivity. That because people now have access to communication and to email, they're using it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And what's happening is lots and lots of communication and not much actual work. So much so that Boston Consulting Group, who's very serious about productivity, have actually banded together as a corporation and as a community set rules to say there are certain blocks of time in which no emailing is allowed. See, what they've identified is that left to itself, email, which is fine, will actually cause us to waste our days. That we get to the end of our lives and think, man, I sent thousands and millions of emails, but where'd the time go? What did I accomplish? That's Paul's point. The days are evil. The system, because it's under Satan's control, is designed in such a way that we waste our time, that we're unproductive. The default state is not that we accomplish great things if we just go with the flow. The default state is the days are against us. Maybe you're a parent here with young children. And you know the pressure that we feel to get them involved in everything and to allow these schedules to get more and more. And you think, well, we've got to have more practices and we've got to have more recitals and there's got to be more tutoring. And there's got to be more sports. And suddenly you find that your schedule is completely overwhelming you. That's the system the world has set up. It's not designed to have your kids turn out to be like Jesus. That's why when you get to age 18 and it's time for them to go off to college or they're moving out of the house and starting their career, it's so easy to look back and go, where'd the time go? And why didn't I do more to prepare them to be Christians in the world in which we live? This is Paul's point. The system that's out there is not designed to do this for us. That left to itself, if the world drives our schedule, the world is under Satan's control. And that means that the choices we make that are influenced by what the world is telling us to do means we'll get to these milestones and think, I've not been as productive for the kingdom of God as I ought to be. I mean, there are thousands of examples. Take video games or Netflix Or the internet, Facebook, Pinterest, which I had no idea what that was. (laughs) A female on my staff said, hey, you ought to mention Pinterest. And so I went home to my wife and I was like, do you know what this is? She's like, oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) These things are not designed to make us productive members of God's kingdom. 
That's why video games take longer and longer to solve. This is why you can spend more and more hours online. This is why there are more and more television uh, channels that you can watch. Now look, I'm not saying that these things are sinful. What I'm saying is they're not designed to make us productive members of God's kingdom. That left to itself, this world is designed in such a way that if we don't do something about it, the default state is we will get to these milestones and say, I wasted it. It's gone in a flash. What did I do with it? Paul says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are against you. The system is against you. The days are evil. Now, fortunately, God has not only accurately diagnosed what we all feel. He's provided the solution. How? Keep reading. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. Really, it says, do not become foolish. And the point is, is that if you and I don't do anything about it, the world in which we live will sunk us into its values and into using our time in the way it wants us to use the time, and we will find ourselves as fools. Paul says, don't, don't become fools. Instead, understand what the Lord's will is. Paul says, look, the world is under Satan's control, but God is not. And if you will listen to what God wants you to do, if you will let him guide and direct your life, then you will make the most of every opportunity. Then you will reach these milestones and you will come to these points in life. And instead of saying, it's gone, I wasted it, you'll say, man, look what God did. God guided me and directed me. He told me to go here. He led me to go there. He gave me that assignment. He told me not to be involved in that. Paul says, if you understand what God wants for you in each and every situation of life, well, then the fact that the days are aligned against you, that's not as big a deal. They'll not determine how your time is used. God will. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know what God wants me to do in each and every situation? How do I know if I'm supposed to sign my daughter up for ballet class or if I'm supposed to switch jobs? How am I supposed to know what God's will is in those situations? Keep reading. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is the crux of the matter. This is the center of this passage. This is the most important thing Paul is saying. How do you know what the Lord's will is? So that you can make the most out of every opportunity so that you don't waste your life? God's given you His Spirit. God himself, the Holy Spirit, dwells within believers. God's saying, of course you can know what I want you to do. I live inside of you. I live within you. I'm here to guide you and direct you. I'm here to help you see which way to go and what to spend your time on and what not to spend your time on. Now, how does that work? Well, it's the first half of verse 18 that helps us to understand the second half. The first half says, do not get drunk on wine. Now, Paul is not really interested in talking about alcohol and drinking at this point. It is true, we're not supposed to be drunk on wine. But that's not the main point he's making right here. The main point is he's trying to draw an analogy between being drunk on wine and being filled by or filled with the Spirit 
And the analogy works on the control level. See, the idea is, is that when someone is drunk on wine, when someone is uh, inebriated, they no longer are in control of their actions. This is why somebody who's had too much to drink will inevitably say or do something that in their right mind they would never say or do. And what do we say? That's the alcohol talking. They're under the influence or under the control of something else. This is why when police pull somebody over and want to determine if they've had too much to drink, they ask them to walk a straight line. Because even in the moment in which that person desperately wants to walk straight, they can't do it. Because they're not in control of their own actions. The alcohol's in control. This is Paul's point. When he says be filled by the Spirit, he means let the Spirit control your actions. If the point is left to ourselves and to this world, we will waste our lives. Therefore, we need to make the most of every opportunity. How do we do that? We do what God wants us to do. How do we know what he wants us to do? He's given us his Spirit. Paul says, listen to him. Let the Spirit be in control. If the Spirit guides you, He's going to guide you to productivity. He's going to guide you to a place where you accomplish something for the kingdom. The world is not designed to have that happen by default. But God has given us His Spirit so that His Spirit can speak to us and say, here's where you need to go. This is what you need to do. That's what you ought to stop spending your time on. You see, the spirit, though, is slightly different than alcohol in that alcohol doesn't ask your opinion. It simply overrides your will and does whatever it wants. The spirit, however, influences us differently. He does not override our will. Instead, he speaks to us. So that raises the question, how do you know what the spirit is saying? How do you know when you hear a voice inside your head saying, look, you ought to get off the internet. That's not, shouldn't be doing that right now. How do you know when that's the spirit? How do you know when a ministry opportunity comes up? How do you know when that prompting, is it from the spirit? Is it a guilt? Is it society? Is it myself? How do you know when the spirit's talking to you? Well, this is a bigger topic than we have time to exhaustively cover this morning. But there are two things I want to say about that. First... In your notes, because it's such an important topic, I listed two resources that you can look at when you have more time. One is a book uh, and one is a set of sermons. And both of those, I think, will help you understand better how to recognize the Spirit's voice and begin to obey Him and follow Him. But second, and more importantly than those resources, Paul says something in this text about that issue. Now, he doesn't say everything, but he does say something. And where it's found is in verses 19 to 21. Now, 21 is a big topic, and so we're going to take 21 as its own next week. But for the sake of discussion this morning, we're going to include it with verses 19 and 20 so you can get the general flavor of what Paul's saying. Verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence. 
for Christ. Now, at first glance, these may look like three new commands that after you're filled with the Spirit, here's three more things to do. That's not grammatically how they work. They are written in such a way, Paul's written them, so that we're to understand them as functioning underneath of the command, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, 19 through 21 have to do with being filled with or by the Spirit. And the question is, how do we know what the Spirit is saying? Well, I can tell you one thing for sure that the Spirit is saying. Notice verse 19, it says, speak to one another. Notice verse 21, submit to one another. That's community language. That's how Paul talks about community. And one thing I can guarantee you that the Spirit is telling you to do is to engage more fully in Christian community. He's saying if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want to know what the Spirit is saying, the Spirit tells people to engage with other Christians. That's what he does. All year long, and especially during this series, we've been encouraging you to get more engaged in what's going on here at the church and to join a small group or be part of an adult congregation or experience community in some sort of way. The reason we're doing that is because as the leadership went away and prayed and said, God, what does our community need to do? What does our church need to do so that we're not just wasting our time so that we don't get to the end of this whole thing and go, where did it go? The Spirit says, put them into community. Encourage them to be part of a smaller group. So if you come here on Sunday morning and you hear a voice in your head saying, man, I really should be part of that. You listen to John and Edna share their story and you think, I'm going through a health crisis. I really should be part of a community. That's the Spirit talking to you. He say, but I'm not interested in that. I want to know whether my daughter should be in ballet. I want to know if I'm supposed to switch jobs. Well, the problem is if the Spirit is currently telling you to get into community and you don't listen there, He's not going to say anything else to you. The Spirit talks to people who listen. And if He's giving you something to do and you're sort of pushing that aside... You're saying, I'm not interested in that. Remember, he's God and we're not. He gets to decide what to tell us. Now, it's in our best interest. Don't hear me wrong. But the point is, is if he's giving you an assignment and you're refusing to listen, please don't think he's going to tell you something else. He's going to ask you to obey what he's already told you. Now, why should the spirit be so concerned about getting us into community? Well, Notice it says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Be grateful to God and share that with each other. Submit to each other. The reason why he wants us in community is because in community, he's speaking more loudly and clearly than he is in some other ways. The point is he does want to tell you whether your daughter should take ballet or not. He does want to tell you which job you should be in. But he's saying one of the ways I really speak to people in community. So be part of a community so I can talk to you. This is not simply a list to check off to go, okay, I guess he wants me in community. The Spirit is urging you to do that so that he can guide you more easily. Now there are other ways in which the Spirit speaks to us. But one of the primary ways is in and through Christian community. Notice verse 19 says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns. And verse 20 says, be grateful. 
let me give you an example of how the Spirit speaks in and through community. On Tuesday, I'm praying and asking the Lord, what am I supposed to say about this passage? If the goal is that we get to the end of this morning and we don't look back and go, man, where'd the time go and I wasted it, then I can't be the one deciding what to say. The Spirit needs to be the one deciding what to say. And so I'm asking him, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to say? Well, while I'm asking him, up pops this message, which the opening, the subject line says, our deepest thanks. Now, verse 20 says, always give thanks to God the Father for everything. So intrigued by this, I open the message, and it's from Bob and Barb Bukema, who are part of our congregation here. The first nine lines of the message are the words of the song, God will make a way. Verse 19 says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, they have no idea what I'm talking about this week. It's just that God had blessed them in and through the church, and they decided they wanted to say thank you, and God prompted them. That was the day to do it. So I get this message, and I think, okay, well, this is not an accident. I'm reading this message, and it's speaking to me with a song, and it's about gratitude, and it's full of the Spirit. So I think, wow, the Spirit's answering my question. He's guiding me as to how to write this sermon. And not only that, he's guiding what we're supposed to do in the service. You notice we sang, God will make a way. That's why we took that as being from the Spirit. He speaks in and through community. Yes, it's possible if I just hold myself up out in the middle of the wilderness, God might have said the same thing. But he normally talks in and through community. Same thing's true in verse 21 where he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That when we actually bend our knees to God's will and we agree to be in community, I mean, look, nobody really wants to do this on their own. We got better things to do with our time. Nobody really wants to be part of a group that might tell us not to stop acting like this or to start doing this or that's going to require time. But when we're willing to submit ourselves to each other and do this, the Spirit is now able to speak in and through that submission. For example, I was reading a biography of a Christian. His name's Stanley Hauerwas. He's a Christian professor at Duke University. And in that book, he tells a story about how a few years earlier, uh, he had been uh, teaching at Notre Dame. And Duke University came to him and offered him a job to leave Notre Dame and to come uh, do uh, his work at Duke University. He wasn't sure what to do. He wasn't sure how to make this decision, whether his ego was going to be involved or what to do with all the things. So he did what you and I might think is a crazy thing, but God thinks is a good thing. He took it to his community, his church community. And he said, I'm turning this decision over to you. Will you pray and ask the Lord what it is I'm supposed to do? In this way, he was removing his ego, his own will, his own desires from the process. And he was saying, whatever you decide is what I'll do. So the community, as you can imagine, this is a small group. They took this very seriously. This is a person that they loved and they valued. They didn't want to lead him astray. And so they fasted and they prayed and they talked together and they discussed it. And in their community, they discerned that although it pained them, they thought that God was indeed leaving, uh, leading him to leave Notre Dame and to go to Duke. And so they communicated it to him. And he took the job. That's what verse 21 is talking about. 
that God speaks in and through community. Are you here this morning and trying to figure out, I got two different jobs, I'm not sure what to do. Why not go to your small group? Why not? They know you. They love you. They want the best for you. Why not take it to them? Paul's saying, look, when you submit to one another in this way, the Spirit speaks in and through community. That's why he wants us in this stuff. Yes, God talks lots of different ways. But he especially talks in in the midst of Christian community. As we speak to one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, as we have gratitude with our hearts to the Lord, as we submit to each other, the Spirit's voice begins to resonate in our ears. Have you ever noticed you've been here on a Sunday morning and you felt a prompting in your spirit that you're sure God wants you to do something? That prompting that doesn't come maybe during the rest of the week? Have you ever had that experience? Why is that? It's because the Spirit speaks in and through community. And when we're here experiencing that, it's easier to differentiate the Spirit's voice. And so God is saying, look, I want to lead you and guide you. The default state is not productivity or success. That if you do not, if you are not intentional about this, you and I will get to the milestones of life and say, where did the time go? And why wasn't I more productive? The system is against us. The days are evil. But God says, if you make the most of every opportunity, if you know what I want for you in each and every situation, then you will navigate your way through life being led by the Spirit. And when you get to those milestones of life, It still will feel like time went quickly. But you'll look back and say, man, can you believe all the things God allowed us to do? Can you imagine? Can you understand all the great things? Look back at all the lives we were able to touch. Look back at all of the stuff we were able to do that matters for eternity. And you get to those milestones and you look back and say, praise the Lord, Jesus led me all the way. That left to my own, I would have wasted it away. Not because you're a wasteful person. Because the system and the days are evil. But God has given us his spirit. And when we reach that last and final milestone that everybody has to reach. God says he's given us his spirit so that we can show up on the day of Christ Jesus. And God can call us to account for the time he's given to us. And because he's the one that led us, when we get there and he says, you did exactly what I wanted you to do, we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. And you know what our response will be? Jesus led me all the way. This is the ninth commandment of community. Walk by the Spirit. Or walk spiritually. Let's pray together. Father, we have failed to recognize the infinitely great gift of your Holy Spirit to us. 
that without his guidance, we would be adrift in a world that would steal time from us. That we would be shipwrecked in this world upon the wasting of our lives and we would be unproductive and useless. But in your spirit, you provide guidance and direction. That the cacophony of the world's voices telling us, do this, be involved with this, spend time on this. Lord, it's so confusing. But you've given us your spirit to lead us and to guide us. God, we thank you for the way in which we can look back and see how you've guided this church. How you have guided individuals. Lord God, how you have guided our lives through difficulties and choices and who to marry and what jobs to have, Lord God, and children and how to train them, Lord, and that you have been faithful. Lord, I pray for any who are here this morning who are lost in the waves of this world. Lord, please help us to realize that left to our own devices, the days are against us, we won't make it. Please please bring conviction to our hearts that it's only through your spirit that we can be guided in such a way. And God, we do look forward to the day in which we can all testify together that you have been faithful to us and that Jesus has led us all the way. We love you. We thank you. Amen.